previously on the outside. Have you? I was wondering if maybe give me a little sneak preview of what you're going to be talking about later. Well, I can tell you one thing. I'm afraid nobody's going to believe me. I believe that Terry Maitland, Heath Hofstadter, Maria Canellis, all three were not only innocent, but I believe they were victims themselves. The real killer was a malevolent entity called El Cuco. This is what you've been doing this whole time? Going after the boogeyman? Are you insane? All she's asking for is we keep an open mind. I'm just gonna look for facts, evidence, dumb cop shit like that. It kills every 27 days. What I couldn't figure out was he was transforming. First, I didn't understand what I was looking at. Stop! But now I do. Thus, we just get to where we're going. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Talking the Outsider. I'm one of your hosts, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California. And I'm joined by my wonderful, beautiful co-host, Jen. How are you doing, Jen? Awesome. Welcome to the filler episode, everyone. I'm super excited to be talking about this driving episode. Yes. Uh, it's not one of my favorite episodes, and I think I'm being really nice. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's very important. So we definitely, it is important. We definitely yes. have to talk about it. So let's do it. All right. So one of the reasons why I didn't love this episode, I want to get that right out the way, is it starts out like the anticipation. I literally was waiting all week for this episode because the way that the last episode ended, I'm sitting there like, oh, this is going to be good. You know, I was Mm. really, really excited about it. And it was kind of a letdown. I mean, it was it was a letdown. Uh, nothing much really happened. It was all this buildup. And, it, you know, it just didn't go anywhere. And, um, you know, I'm, I was quite disappointed. You know, uh, so what about you? Uh, just overall, your, your thoughts on the episode. Well, um, <clears throat> this is one of those episodes that uh, in the... I think in the show world, in the series world, uh, writers have a really difficult time with because there is not a lot of show, but there needs to be a lot of tell. Right. And so what we ended up with in this episode was a heck of a lot of tell without sort of the visual narrative behind it to lead the show. And it's frustrating because the viewer wants something to kind of sink their teeth into in terms of something visual that they can really latch onto. But there just isn't that much that you can do here uh, that would sort of make that. And when I say it's filler episode, it's not really a filler episode. This This episode actually is an extremely important one in terms of what we find out via exposition. It is actually really imperative to understand. And some things I think may actually go unnoticed if you're not really paying attention. But the the overall effect of this episode was dragging and it just felt like there was so much (laughs) driving there was so much repetition 
of scenes being so similar that it was hard to keep uh, focus. It, you know, I, even I found myself rather than taking notes, I was like, you know, off on my phone, doing a couple other things. And that's really unusual for me. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Maybe I, I think maybe I built it up in my head way more than I probably should have. Well, let's remember, as you've said before on previous episodes, you and I have both read the book. And so I think this episode to this point, we perhaps were expecting something a little bit more in terms of what might happen. And we didn't get that. Right. Because this is not in the book. This this scene is definitely 100% not in the book. So, you know, every time we get to these moments that are not in the book, we want to see what's going to happen because we have no idea. And to be honest with you, we have no idea about things that are in the book because there's most of them are slightly uh, askew or changed. Different. A lot of right. them are, I should say, a lot of them are. So, but, it, but what it did do was it, it crossed a bridge for uh, people that haven't read the book and people who uh, are just watching the series because so much of uh, of what happens with the characters as we sort of get through the meat of the book is this internal monologue. And we don't have internal monologue, obviously, in a series. So we have to get the characters to talk to each other to explain in some kind of fashion so that we, the viewers, understand what's inside their head. And to that, in that sense, I, I do feel like this episode succeeded because there was a lot to kind of uncover, right. and especially about Jack. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, let's first start with Glory Maitland's uh, situation where she's showing the house and then we'll get into the over the, the big part of it. So uh, okay. just talk about her mental state. What'd you think about the scene where she's showing the, the house and then, and then what she's, you know, deciding to do going forward. Well, in, in this, in the scene that we see glory showing the house, she's a realtor. So that's her job. And she's the running out of groceries is basically what she says. Um, she needs to get back to work. And the first house that she shows is to a couple who seem to be interested at first, but then glory, I think realizes pretty quickly that she has become something of a local oddity, a uh, celebrity slash, you know, um, sideshow. And I think it, I don't think that she actually sort of put two and two together in terms of her professional life careening and it kind of exploding with, what has happened to her, but we get the sense that she completely understands it after uh, meeting with this couple. Now, the interesting thing to me about this is that when she finally realizes what happens, she just confronts it head on and says, okay, I'm done here. You know, gawk at me all you want, ask all the good questions that you want, because I need to get this out of the way you know, either buy this piece of crap house or move on. And I, I did kind of like that. It does actually feel like Glory is, is that is the kind of person that she is. But I also think that it kind of speaks to the effect that Glory, uh, or the effect uh, of what has happened to the character here, that she's really not ready to be back in the quote unquote real world. You know, there is something still hanging over her that prevents her from being able to do things the way that she once did them before. Yeah. Like, I mean, y you get the idea of that, what she's going through, right. Right. You know, 
her, her first of all she loses her husband but before that her family was shamed over this you know th- th- them accusing uh, her husband of doing one of the worst things you can be accused of well and the kids have to be homeschooled the kids gotta be homeschooled people talking behind your back you can even people who are not saying things to her face she has to you know she could feel the stares and the looks and stuff like right. that and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight because remember, she just had the moment where she, uh, you know, where they, she, you know, the one thing that she had hoped for, right, is this investigation. And then when they talk about going for the boogeyman, it's like, wow, like, even that isn't, you know, even that yeah. isn't right. So, you know, I, I understand why she snapped and why she did what she did. And, and this does feel uh, very small townish. I mean, this feels very like, you know, this is exactly what happens in a small town. Yeah. So, I don't know. I I really think that her character, who is always been a strong character, you know, you know, she's just going through it, man. And and she wants. To, I'm sure she wants to punch somebody in the face, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, but there's no one really to punch in the face. But there was one way that she can kind of punch someone in the face, right? Through suit. All right. This is the episode with the loss where she decides to sue, right? Yeah, at the, I think at the very end. Right, right. So, uh, yeah. So, um, but, but, you know, my take on that is that she's starting to feel like there is, uh, that there's a financial desperation to all of this. And that is not so much that she's trying to punch back at the system as much as she's trying to say, there's no way that this is ever going to end fair. And this is really the only way that I can get any fairness out of the system that is basically going to bankrupt me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can totally agree with her. Yeah. So, all right. So, okay, we got that out of the way. Let's get to the, the meat and potatoes of this episode. Uh, <laughs> Which is sort of in two parts, right? Because part uh, one is uh, Jack and Holly. And part two is uh, is really Ralph. Well, really, it's Ralph. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Yeah. So... Okay, so Jack basically is kidnapped Holly in a way, in a sense, and she, but she knows that there's something afoot. So, <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, hello to people in the chat room. I didn't see it. Hey, everybody. And uh, so, how can I say this? If I'm in the car with someone who not only, you know, might be a, uh, you know, uh, who, who may have ill intent, you know, when it comes to me, but maybe something supernatural as well, man, I'm getting the hell up out of that car the first opportunity. I mean, I, she did do that, but I don't know if I'd have went that far. I'd have been, I'd have got the heck up out of there. I mean, she was pretty cool and calm. I know she's been in some hair raising situations and other stories, you know, so maybe that's what it is, but she was pretty cool. Don't you think? Yeah, I think she was actually very collected. Although I don't feel like that is out of character for her that we've seen this. 
And there is another aspect to this, which I feel like you shouldn't gloss over. And that is that even in this stage, even at the stage that she feels that she is mortally threatened, she is still trying to get information. She is still trying to be the investigator. And it's, it is so telling about this character that even under the harshest of circumstances, she maintains a sense of level headed integrity enough to ask him pointed questions and an answer in ways that I think she maybe in some ways almost is giving him too much information, but I feel like that's Holly. That is just definitely Holly. It's what Bill Hodges would have done. Let's not even do that. (laughs) You know why I'm saying that. (laughs) That's that book universe, which they, happily and uh and mercifully did not include in the series so right we'll say our lucky our, our, we'll, we'll thank our lucky stars about that are we sure that he was gonna kill her in the barn yeah right no. see that that's the part of this that maybe looking back on it maybe i should give it a little more props because on one hand you would think okay he's gonna kill her Right. But you don't really know. Like even in the end when she escapes and he's shooting at her, you're you're like, was he going to kill her? Because it seemed like he's wanting uh, finding out. Like, Uh, right. Uh, And and actually, I I think that actually brings up a really good point. And I know we're kind of jumping all over the episode, but this really does bring up the right. This hits the right note during the episode. It, do, it feels like as much as Holly is the level-headed investigator, Jack is the one who has all the questions. And he's and, really uh, trying I, to I love that question title. Holly in a way that I think is not going to make El Cuco react in some way to him. And I feel like that we know that. We know that that's a real thing. But we also know that uh, man, what a he's great not way to kind of because it, up the, the, the that, distance you know, is too instead far. Of going into one. How and number two, and I don't feel stuff. like he then even he thought about story. using the gun on her a, until a, after she tried scene. to escape. Because at that point, then I think he didn't. He felt like he didn't have a choice. But up until that point, I think he totally still felt like he was in control of the situation, and so he did have a choice, and he didn't have to. I, it's just it's a there's a, a subtle shift that happens during that gas station scene when you realize that he understands that it's not that just that she's trying to leave, but that she's that basically all of his hope is tied to doing what he was supposed to do, that his suffering is about to get exponentially worse. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I love, I, I just love that that aspect of it it was good but the only pro- the only problem is like it did leave me wanting more you know it it really maybe that's not a bad thing maybe i'm being maybe i'm being too harsh but uh it did leave me wanting more in that well the the thing about this episode that i think was uh, that over and over again we see an outsider and and, and it's one of the strengths and weaknesses sort of at the same time there is always this sense of uh dread that runs all the way through every single storyline or every single well every storyline but every single scene even when it may or may not be called for 
And some of that is the tense music, some of it is the tense lighting, some of it is the really intense uh, ways that they shoot things. And then other times, it there is this repetition to things that makes you really frustrated and sort of makes you feel like kind of hopeless. And in some ways, I think that that was very intentional. Um, however, in this episode, the problem was not in sort of that being, you know, kind of a, a cool trick, but in the fact that they didn't change it up as much as they should have. Um, the scenes with them in the car are really difficult because we, because I think if they wanted to make it successful, they either should have made it all sort of, this is all we're going to see for a long time and not intersperse it with, uh, with uh, Ralph, or they should have added some different elements into that car scene to give us some kind of visual break. Because I think that what you're reacting to, which I think is totally okay, is it was monotonous. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Very monotonous. Uh, hold on. I'm so sorry. It was very monotonous, and it was like I said, it left me wanting a lot more. Yeah, and also, if I could just maybe throw one more thing in there, the the scenes between Jack and Holly in the car, uh, they're they're incredibly insightful between the two characters. We learn a lot about both El Cuco and what Holly understands El Cuco to be. But we also get this in really interesting psychological play between the two of them where I feel like the point of all of this was for us to realize that Jack is not a puppet of El Cuco. Right. When I say he's not a puppet, I mean, of course, he is being led and he's being tormented and he's being hurt and he's being controlled in, in, in a way that is clearly there, but not a puppet. He, he has his own self-control. And I think that that's really important for us to understand at this point, because any actions that he makes after this may become suspect to us if we don't feel like that's the case. Mm, interesting. Um, hmm. Well, I don't know. It, it brings up the question that I you have to ask. Is he a sympathetic figure? Because remember, he wasn't the greatest person before this. That's right. And he makes he's made some decisions that are you know, we'll go into the on the next episode that are, you know, definitely not ones you want to get behind. Mm-hmm. So should we be sympathetic to one of them? I, I also feel, as I said in the last episode, that this is one of those Stephen King conundrums where the uh, where the level of empathy for the quote unquote bad guy is sometimes really muddled. Um, and in this case, let's yes, we can remember that Jack was not a very nice person altogether, but he was not, I don't think a bad person. He didn't, I mean, he clearly had some relationships where other people trusted him and where he did things that even if they weren't popular were, he had a strong set of who he was. Some entity comes and takes him over. I don't think that you can disqualify him from empathy at this point. Yes, we should definitely feel bad for him. 
not because he didn't make good choices before, but because the current situation has left him with little choice to, to be so tormented the way that we saw him tormented. Can you imagine just for a second, if somebody who was really close to you, who you perhaps had a, a really stormy and rocky relationship came back into your world and metaphorically and physically beat you up and left you with physical bruises, left you bloodied, left you traumatized and scarred because of it. Can you imagine what that would do to your sense of both uh, who you were as a person and what you were ready to do so that that didn't happen again? I mean, I can understand that. I, I don't know if I would make the same choices, but I can understand it. So you're asking me if my mother beat me up. Well, my mother's alive, by the way, you guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how would I feel about that? Uh, well, well, you said it, somebody that had a, a, a bad relationship, but so I had a, a, I have a very good relationship with my mother. But right, um, yeah, no, yeah, that. I mean, it's the it's a perfect way, and it's a perfect way to to get at him, right? The the thing, the boogeyman, her his boogeyman or boogie woman in that case. So right. yeah, it's be- It's brilliant. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember the movie uh, Flatliners? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, there's a, a kind of a similar thread that runs through there where the thing that, you know, kind of like bothers you the most is the thing that comes to manifest itself to be your boogeyman. And uh, in this case, what he was the most, I think, I don't know if he was, if it was actually like fear, but what he felt the most tormented by, I just keep using that word because it's the best word I've got, tortured by, was his mother. He felt tortured by her. And then that literally became a manifestation for him. And so, yeah, I mean, again, in that sense, I don't know how you disqualify Jack from empathy. It's not, I think we should have a hard time feeling empathy for him, but I don't think that we should cut that off completely because, man, just put yourself in that position. I I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I have no idea either. So, yeah, that's crazy. Uh, what do you think about the resolution? Do you, do you think that, did that work for you? The resolution meaning like her escaping at the gas station? Yes. Well, so I go back and forth on this because part of me feels like it was incredibly contrived, but there's another part of me that also feels like there's no other way to do what they did. I mean, they, it had to be sort of that way. Um, I, I I feel like this was a good indication that Jack trusted her. He trusted her. And I, because anybody else would probably have gotten out of the car and stood by the door right. or, you know, been sort of, okay, well, if you have to use the bathroom, I'm coming in with you. I don't care. Uh, you know, something along those lines. I was thinking in my head, if I was a writer and I was writing this, what would, how would I show that I trusted the person who, perhaps, you know, was that, that neat that I knew could possibly escape, but I felt like, okay, I could trust this person. And that actually, to me, felt like it was pretty good in terms of that, uh, what that show was, you know, how Holly handled it, I think, is sort of, <laughs> it was interesting to me that she, that she thought enough to break the back window and run out the front door. That was actually really brilliant. Very smart. 
Yeah, I really liked that. And I, I feel like it showed that there was enough of her understanding what he would do. And I'm, I'm saying this like, I feel like what this sort of all showed was that they have enough, they're in each other's heads enough to be able to make those assumptions about each other. And they were both right. Oh, they yeah. were both actually right. For sure, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, this episode is going to be the shortest one of all the ones we did because it's pretty much, we. I think we covered, for the most part, all of it. So, um, well, is there let, any last things? Let's just talk real briefly about Ralph. Okay. Because I feel like in this episode, he is starting to actually come around far more than he ever has to kind of be on board. I, I'm, I don't think he's there yet, but I do think that he finally has made uh, the understanding that, okay, everybody else is here. Everybody else is on board. What am I missing? Which is different from the evidence is telling me something completely different than everything else that you guys are saying. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely. And I think that that is kind of important. I also feel like it was really important when he had his, uh, you know, big emergency uh, session with the psychiatrist, because to me, that says that he's starting to break. He's starting to feel like there is more pressure from within to accept something, whether it's the grief from his son or whether it's something else, but something is pressuring him to change the way he thinks. And that I feel like was represented really well with the emergency visit to the psychiatrist, because it shows that his, that his whole thinking cycle is now disrupted. Would the old Ralph have ever done that? No, no, not at all. Yeah. And so I feel like there's, you know, kind of the dam is beginning to break. Yeah. That wall that wall, like, I don't know if you've ever seen Village of the Damned, mm-hmm. where he has the brick wall in his head and the bricks start falling out. Like, you know, uh, so uh, I feel like that's what's kind of going on with uh, with a good old Ralph. I, I really liked it, to be honest. I, I liked the scenes with Ralph in this episode. I also liked the fact that they got on the road and tried to follow the pair um, trying to figure out where they were. I mean, like in some cases, there's some really good investigative, you know, sort of like this is the police work that you would do. The fact that they, you know, that Ralph shows up at uh, what's her name's house and then knows that she will try to call Jack so that he can pinpoint the phone. I mean, some things in that were really super brilliant. Yeah. I really liked that a lot because because a lot of the heart of this is Ralph being an investigator. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we are just about there. Um, so how can we get you on social media and all that good stuff? Uh, social media, you can find me on Twitter at following bliss one. And my websites are moviesmakethemeal.com and studiowhitewolf.com. All right. And you can get me at Kente F on Twitter, Kente Ferguson on Instagram and the website is IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. Just uh, to let you guys know out there, uh, you can get our podcast uh, via iTunes. You can get it, of course, on Spreaker. Um, and we just now have been added to Podcast Addict. So 
addict, like, you know, drug addict. And <laughs> and more are, should be coming in soon. So check out the show, share it, show it to your friends. And, uh, you know, and I'm excited for these ne- these last couple of episodes. Tell us what you think. Give us some feedback. All right. All right. So we'll be back for an all new episode. Peace. <laughs>